edition of Moya Talks, we have a special guest today, Mr. Bua Benite from Dante's Partner. Uh, he is the founder and, and managing principal of Dante's Partner, where he directs the acquisition, development, management, and financial activities of the firm. He's also a chairman of the DC Housing Finance Agency, and he serves as a board member of the DC Building Industry Association. His career is underscored by a commitment to creating and preserving affordable and workforce housing. And since founding Dante's partner, Mr. Benitti and his team have closed over 750 million of unconventional real estate transactions. That accounts for over 2,400 units of workforce and affordable housing units. Uh, born in Nigeria, Mr. Benitti received uh, a bachelor from New York City University and a master in real estate development from the John Hopkins University. Welcome, thank you for joining us. And let's start, thank you for your time. My pleasure, thank you for having me on. Right, so you, you first came from Nigeria in 1998, right? To New York. Yeah, that's correct. My, um, you know, um, no university in Nigeria would accept me, so, um, as punishment, I ended up in the United States because um, they figured this is probably the, you know, the next best option for me is to succeed here. <laughs> then since I, I, I failed miserably in, in Nigeria, which, you know, I don't know if you know too many Nigerians, they're extremely intimidating people. And um, no surprise, I couldn't compete with them. So, um, so yeah, here I am in, in America. You go from a family of entrepreneurs I have read, right? How did you That's finally correct. influence your character as an entrepreneur? Um, I think it, it plays it played a lot into how we were raised. You know, um, I, you know, it's funny when when you talk about you know the way parents like plant seeds and whether subconsciously or subconsciously, I'll, I'll tell you a story, and and hopefully this answers your question. Um, you know. My my dad my dad would always come and, and and see me in the states when I was in college. Like he would come, you know, once a year, once every other year to come and see me. And one year in particular, you know, um, you know, as a son, you know, most Nigerian sons, particularly the first ones, you know, our culture is such that you know you're always wanting your parents' approval. So you know, my dad came to see me, and this time, you know, I was like in college. I was very impressed with myself. I had a suit and tie job and look at it now. You can't even pay me to wear a suit, right? Uh, you know, I was so impressed with myself. I was waking up every morning and like, just, you know, eager just to like prove to my dad that, you know, I'm, 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 I'm capable and I'm, you know, you know, active member of society and, you know, this good son. And towards the end of the trip, my, my father was like, I, I see your, I see your, 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 your proud, you're, you're happy with yourself. And I was like, yeah, like, you know, like, what could you possibly find wrong with what I'm doing? Like, I'm, and my dad was like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't raise any child of mine to work for anybody. So I immediately felt like a failure, <laughs> right? Like, um, and I was like, damn, like, so of course, as you can imagine, from that moment on, I've been, every move that I made has been towards being an entrepreneur, right? Um, obviously my father is a serial entrepreneur, his brothers are, and we always say that the one brother who isn't an entrepreneur is a brain surgeon 
So as you can imagine, and I'm not joking, by the way, he is literally a brain surgeon. So as you can imagine, you know, there isn't anything you can do in a household where anybody's impressed, right? Like nobody's ever impressed with anything you do. Um, so you really truly have to be a rocket scientist to be able to impress anybody. So um, if you're that kind of kid in a competitive household where, you know, you want that level of recognition from, from your loved ones, you're always sort of aspiring to do great things. And I think that that's sort of been part of my upbringing. It's been part of my ethos and it's been part of like the way I've always just sort of conducted myself because I want my family to be, to be impressed with, with what I'm doing. And um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if they're impressed. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure, but we'll see. It keeps you going. Yeah, yeah, it keeps me going. It definitely keeps me going. No question about it. It definitely keeps me going. All right. I read that you majored in education, and I find yes. that a fascinating background, given yes. or considering where you are right now. What That's are the good. three things that you would take from that major, from your college experience, that help you right now? So the reason or the story behind getting the education degree was because I got accepted into a phenomenal school, um, New York University, and I did not know what I wanted to do, especially as a foreigner, right? Like in trying to acclimate yourself into the American system, I found it pretty fascinating that I could pretty much create my own curriculum, right? My own degree at, at NYU. And I think that that's probably one of the best things like any, any college, can do for a kid like myself is just like I always say, like exposure is the best thing that you can do to any young individual, right? Just expose them to as much as possible. And NYU basically exposed me and gave me the opportunity to go to all the multiple schools. So there are like 10 schools that make up NYU. You've got the business school, the law school, entertainment school, the art school, the right. So I had the opportunity to basically take classes in each and every one of those schools. And, and I could do that under the education banner because that was the most liberal of degrees. It wasn't because I was trying to be a teacher, which, you know, I think someone can actually say I am um, indirectly, but that was pretty much the, the, the rationale for, for getting that degree. It was really more so because I wanted to learn um, about all that America had to offer. And, um, and that's how I quickly learned that I had an aptitude for business and I also had an aptitude for technology. Right, and after you graduated, you started your own IT company. Yes. What was the experience and what lessons did you learn from that first experience as an entrepreneur? Um, that I love creating companies, I really do. Um, I've got a knack for it. I've got a talent for it. Um, so and yeah, because because nothing brings out nothing brings out, in my opinion, nothing makes you work harder as an entrepreneur because you don't know where your next meal is coming from. So the level of creativity that you have to adapt, yeah, you have to employ to look for business and 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 execute on that business, but more importantly convince someone to actually reach into their pockets and give you a dollar, like that's a skill. Um, however, the one thing I learned from that experience was it doesn't matter what industry you're in, 
you cannot ignore the basic principles of what it means to run a business, right? There's certain things that you need to make sure you, 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 you achieve. So, it, you know, we were caught up in a time and place where, I don't know if you recall, dot com this and dot com that were the rave. So everybody was just basically rushing to create a dot com company such that they could sell. And most of them were selling without actually having done or achieved nothing at all, right? So they were basically coming up with all these crazy valuations without making a single red set. And I couldn't wrap my arms around it, but I was basically following the rest of the crowd. And obviously, you know, some people got lucky and some people did not. And I happened to fall in the bucket of people who were not lucky. And I didn't have anything to sell. I mean, we had something to sell. We just didn't focus on, on selling. We were focusing on doing something else. And I, I always tell people now, like, you you know, when you create a business, you got to trust the process, right? The, the concept of crawling before you run is a process that I wholeheartedly believe in. And that's essentially what has carried us through to today where I can probably say I'm standing up five different companies that are doing really, really well, right? Right. And then after this experience and probably that conversation you related earlier with your father, you founded your own company, your own real estate yes. company, Dantas yep. Partner, yep. back in 2005. When yes. did you decide to move or venture into real estate? I made the decision because after my technology stint, I got lucky. Um, you know, what had gotten around as far as, you know, my reputation of just being an assassin. Right, like that's sort of the reputation that, um, I, you know, I still like. I still like being called an assassin. It's like, but we want you to go take this person out. And I'm like, yes, I'm your guy, right? Um, and and, um, you know, and but what that really means from a business standpoint is, I'm not a great idea guy, but I'm a phenomenal executioner, right? Like, if you have an idea, you can count on me to basically get it done. So um, a real estate consulting firm in DC had you know, tracked me down via relationships that I had nurtured over the years and they were a startup company. So for me, it wasn't when the industry it was just the fact that they were a startup company looking for someone to operationalize the business plan. And um, I happened to be in the right place at the right time. And that's when I got the bug as far as real estate was concerned. I got you know, roped into law, real estate law, real estate finance, and I fell in love. Like I literally fell in love with what the company was doing to the point where in order for them not to prolong their decision to retain me, I basically said I would work for free for six months. Just don't worry about anything else. I would just show up at your office on Monday and work for free and we'll figure out my salary and all that stuff. And that was when I got the bug and I worked for the company for a number of years and I said, yeah, I want to be, I want to figure out a way to, to, to really, you know, immerse myself and, and become a master of domain in real estate and, and the rest has been history. So, you know, that led to, you know, me forming Dante's partners. What's the biggest challenge to become a real estate developer? Um, you know, I like in, you know, when I think about what I do for a living, you know, I, you know, you can use the analogy of, of 
you know, the, the conductor at the orchestra or, you know, a hip hop music producer where like, you know, you don't, you know, I don't know what talent does the conductor have. I mean, people, this is a debate that people have, right? People always say, oh, the guys who are talented, the guys and girls who are talented are the ones who are playing the violin, the ones who are drumming and everything else. But I think the most talented person on that stage, frankly, is a conductor because he's actually able to bring all those pieces together to be able to create a symphony, right? So every single day, my job is to create you know, this like harmonious, you know, group, you know, cast of characters, right? All this like, you know, crazy, all this crazy personalities and, and crazy issues and make it all make sense. And for oh, some we reason- We have a few here, right? <laughs> but you guys are good. You guys are phenomenal. Um, no, but but that's the thing, right? The thing is, is it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, the, the challenging part is, is always remaining cool even in, in, in face of adversity because you're gonna encounter every single, the architects are gonna come to the table with their challenge, right? And I'm not just saying the architects, like the structural guy, the MEP guy is gonna come to the table with, with their own set of challenges, right? That's one. The financing people are gonna come to the table with their own set of challenges. So I've gotta solve that. And I've gotta be able to maintain and keep everybody from blowing up, right? So, you know, so you've got the design team, you've got the architectural team, then I've got to deal with the contractors, right? So I've got to be able to make sure that they are also coming on board and actually playing an instrument off the same sheet of music that you have put in front of them, right? Then you've got the property management company. You've got the, you know, so it's, it's basically that entire universe of coordinating everybody and telling everybody to believe in your vision, right? Because that's what you're doing. Essentially, you're basically selling a vision and having everybody jump on that vision to help execute that plan going forward. So it's a challenge, but, um, you know, I love it. And thankfully, you know, this is the one thing I'm good at. I can't see myself doing anything else. So, so yeah. What was your breakthrough? The moment you said, okay, I got this. I'm good at this. Um, when someone put their hand in their pocket and gave me a dollar, I would say it was my breakthrough. <laughs> um, no, I mean... I mean, as a know, company, when did you say, okay, Dante is going to work. We're going to be good at this. You know, I, I, I think that... Um, I think that, um, so I was very fortunate enough to recognize that there are a whole host of people out here who had problems with their real estate holders, right? You have a lot of groups and individuals and organizations and even the district that have land that they're looking to activate. And if I'm able to convince you to, and trust me, with one of your most prized asset, um, it's a it's a great feeling, and I think for me, you know, that breakthrough really happened with with um, with a project that I did in Ward Four um, called you know Vida Senior Centers, right? Like that was like one of my one of my earlier you know new construction. Actually, no, it was before that. It was before that. That that I it was before that because. I did a topo deal 
I don't do much topo deals, but I did a topo deal on 11th in Colombia. And I met with the tenant association and, they was, and the tenants basically were like, you know, they, they were in a rut. Like they were just, you know, it was a co-op initially. They had accumulated so much debt. A lot of the you know, original co-op owners had basically fled and the, the balance of the co-op owners were basically carrying the entire mortgage of, 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 um, of this cooperative. And they hired me and my partners to come in and basically salvage their cooperative. And something just said in us that, oh, look, it's a 40 unit co-op, 20 units are vacant throughout the entire building. Why don't we just sort of, you know, move the existing residents into one building and, and we'll sell the units to them at cost and we'll sell the, other 20 vacant units as condominium buildings and that would basically pay for everything. And at the time we finished the deal, the existing owners had over a hundred thousand dollars worth of equity built into their home. So here is a group who were riddled in debt and basically on the verge of insolvency. And we were able to turn it around in a matter of 12 months to the point where they, they, they had significant equity in their homes. And I remember walking into one of the tenant board members' homes after we were done, and I got a big fat hug and a cake baked. And I was like, I love this. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. If, 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 I can, if I can change someone's life in such a way, impact, not change, but impact someone's life in such a way where I get hugs and, and big food, yes, sign me up. Um, so, so it was at that moment that I realized that um, you can use real estate as a tool to not just make money, but also be very, very impactful. And, and I have not looked back since. Excellent. So Dantes, your company, develops a great deal of affordable housing. Yes. Currently, you have over 2,400 workforce units across different ranges of affordability. Yes. How important is to give a wide range, a different spectrum of income and a mixed variety of options in this affordable housing? I think it's very important because, you know, you know I, when I tell people that this story is very personal to me, it's, you know, like I lived in New York. Right. I lived in New York. I lived in San Francisco and I, I lived in D.C., all very high cost areas. And by the way, you know, there was never a point in time where like I in my mind. I didn't think I wasn't making a good enough of a salary. Right. I thought I was making good money um, working in those cities, but apparently the money that I was making was not good enough right to be able to live in those cities and you know i eventually when i lived in new york i mean i lived in the city for a while but i re i realized that it was unsustainable so i had to move to jersey city right to to be able to commute into work and as a young black man living in new york city who wants a curfew right like i had to take the path train back and forth to get into the city and at the time the path was not 
like 24 hours. In fact, I don't even know if it's still 24 hours, but in my mind, I'm like, I don't want to, like, I, I, I should be living my best life. Why, why do I have a curfew in order to, in order to get back to Jersey City? So that, that was sort of one of the biggest high opening moments for me. And the same thing happened in San Francisco where I was commuting, you know, ungodly hours every single day just to get to work. And, you know, when I moved to DC, I lived in Laurel and I was taking the Mark train, which again had limited hours. So DC was the rave back then. I mean, you had 1223, you had all these clubs and all these places to hang out. And it's either I'm driving drunk home, which you don't want to do, or again, I had a curfew, which did not make any sense. So, and the only limiting factor for me personally was because I did not make good, I did not make good money. Not that I deserved to earn more. It was just not good enough to be able to afford in the city. So our goal has always been, look, luckily for us, um, we have a very high area median income that is $126,000 a year, which is just you know exorbitantly high if you ask me. But luckily for us, if you're 60% of that, 80% of that, we can create housing for you and still utilize the financing vehicles that are available to us to create this you know, workforce um, slash affordable housing. So, and, but more importantly, it also serves as a vehicle for mobility, right? Because, you know, if I only make 30% of my house and you get your act together, you get your life together and you start making $80,000 or $60,000, you can no longer reside in that building. So why can't you just stay in that building and stay in that neighborhood, but you're mobile? Because now you've, you've, you've basically crossed the chasm and someone else in the 30% of my bracket can, can come in. So you know, we need to do more to uh, again, expose people such that they can aspire to be upwardly mobile individuals. And that's what it's about because I started from that. That's where I started from, right? To the point where, you know, I am where I am today because I was able to take advantage of all the various vehicles that, that America had to offer for me to be upwardly mobile individuals. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a major issue that, you know, us and our politicians got to recognize and take into consideration. Right, so let me give another example, I'm sorry. A police officer, you got a police officer who starts out in DC today, they're probably making, you know, 60, 50, 60, $70,000, okay, fine. But if that police officer is dedicated and wants to continue mm -hmm. to serve, right, in our community and that police officer gets promoted to a sergeant or, or a detective, and now they're making ninety to hundred thousand dollars a year. Does that mean that they can no longer reside in the city? It's it's ludicrous, right? Like, why shouldn't they be able to live in the city that they serve? And I can tell you right now that that's a story that I hear way too often in the city that that we're not doing our best to address those individuals. Excellent. One last question. Let's talk about recenter, and then we open the the floor for questions. Sure. What does this opportunity mean for you personally? <laughs> Make, no, sorry, I was, I'm never going to do that. Um, <laughs> you know, to me, I, I, I you know, I, I hate, you know, I don't like making, you know, just, this is, this is how I answer the question. And by the way, I, I say this, no disrespect to, 
to anybody. There are a lot of developers in the city that I stand on their shoulders that I admire. But from a social construct standpoint, I always make the story, I always give folks the example and say, look, look at the wharf, right? Look at the wharf as, as beautiful, spectacularly well-planned development, right? And I think we can all agree that it's what, maybe 10, 15 buildings when it's all said and done on the wharf, right? And not one building is owned by a black person or a brown person. Right or diverse, not one building, not one, not one building. Um, how many local architecture firms were part of that um, opportunity? Um, how many local construction firms were part of that opportunity? And you know, the answer that I keep getting over and over again is 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 little to none. Or why don't we have one building at the wharf that's owned by a person of color? And the truth of the matter is the industry in which we work in is an industry where it's 100% relationship driven, 100%. I've known Paula for years, right? If we had not had, a, if, we, if we did not know each other, where would that opportunity come from for, for, for Moyo Design to have its fingerprint on, 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 on a project like this in a very major way? And it's the same thing for developers because it all starts at the top. Everything starts at the top. So what Reeves really signifies is like, look, we can do for ourselves. We don't need to be a minority partner for the sake of having a minority partner, which is, which is typically what happens. And, and as a minority partner, you have zero influence in, in providing opportunity for anybody. So in a nutshell, I'm in the business right now. The business in which I'm in, what I've been blessed with is being the business of providing opportunities. That's my business today. And I, it makes no sense for me to be doing a deal where I can't provide opportunities for others that look like me. So that's essentially what Reeves represents. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you. Let's open the floor for questions. Be mindful of people's time. Paola has a question. What got you passionate about? Oh, sorry. What got you passionate about biking? How many races <laughs> have you done as more personal? Um, you know, first and foremost, it's a solo sport. I'm, I mean, <laughs> it's not a team sport, as you can see. I'm not a team player. No. Um, <laughs> um you know, I, I, um. I started riding when I was in San Francisco, right? And, and the hills, you know, the hills in San Fran get you. And I've always just felt like if I can bike up a hill, that's how I'm gonna be able to tackle life. And if I can figure out a way to best my time from, um, from the last time I did that particular hill, it means I'm getting better at life. And for me, life is ebbs and flows, is ups and downs, is winding turns. And in some instances, you don't even know what's coming around the corner, right? And every single thing you do is 100% based on your own individual effort, right? No one, I'm, I can't pay anybody to push the bike for me or pedal for me, right? Sometimes I wish I could, um, right? <laughs> it's, it's all based on your own individual effort. And, um, 
And, you know, it's just sort of the way I tackle life, right? I look at, for me, bike cycling is, is, is just life. That's just the way that I see it. It's, it's like, we, you know, a lot of, a lot of, um, yeah. And it's a great way for me to enjoy the outdoors. It's a great way for me to hang out with my friends. It takes me back to my childhood. And, um, and I love all the challenges that come with it, so. Great. And one question for Federico. Co-living was starting to gain traction before the pandemic. As things transition back, Will co-living become relevant again? And will there ever be affordable co-living models, especially for seniors? And by the you way, know, that was a, a message from Dennis, not from me. I'm sorry, <laughs> sorry. Um, you know, it's funny you say that. Um, I mean, look, co-living is, is, it's interesting, right? You know, talking about exposure. I mean, for those of us who spend a lot of time in Europe, this is not necessarily a foreign concept, right? Like this is this is the way life is, you know, especially, you know, high cost areas. Like this is the way it's, this is the way we've tried to make it affordable, right? And it's my hope that, that, um, that folks continue to, continue to adopt co-living as a solution for affordability. Um, I'm seeing municipalities turning around and changing their regs and a lot for co-livings within um, when it comes to using their land and using their money. So um, I'm, I'm hopeful that, that, um, that we're going to see more, more co-living in, in a way that it's, um, you know, in a way that, that, that is affordable and hopefully safe for, for those that choose to reside in them. So. Great. Well, thank you very much for your time. This has been a great interview, a great opportunity. <laughs> Funny as thank, you. thank you. Thank you very much. And we really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank okay. you. Thanks so much. We have to go. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Great.